name's Floss and I'm so happy that you can join me today on Exactly. Today is such a special episode, like every single episode, but today I'm interviewing another person I've been completely obsessed with on social media for years. If you're new here, Exactly Podcast is a permission slip for you to follow your curiosity. It's an invitation to ask the hard questions. It's everything I wish I'd learned in school and didn't have to learn the hard way. Every one of my guests are absolutely fascinating to me. They're either experts in the fields that I discuss with them, or they've just got the lived experience to be able to talk about these things. I love sharing my opinions and having my mind open by my guests every single time. Every month on the podcast, I host a listener call-in where myself and a guest expert will be answering your questions, queries, and your dilemmas. The next episode is going to be all about sex. If you have any questions about this topic, you can send me a message or a voice note via our podcast WhatsApp number, plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. I love hearing from you, so please do send your suggestions for topics that you would like me to cover in the future. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <laughs> Okay, so like I said, today's guest is another incredible person that I've followed on social media for a very long time. You've probably already heard of her or seen one of her infographics or seen someone who has been inspired by her work. Today's guest is the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole LaPera. Dr. Nicole is one of the most influential and revolutionary thinkers and teachers of our time. And that's no overstatement. She has a staggering 5.3 million followers and rising daily on her Instagram account. She uses her platform to make these very deep and complex concepts about psychology accessible for the masses. It's something I admire deeply. And I think I say this every episode, but it's pretty much the common denominator with all of my guests is that they make these, these really complex topics and things that have been gatekept from people so fucking enjoyable and engaging and accessible. It's one of the things I admire most about her use of her platform. And I think it's safe to say that she has left an enormous mark on the world, particularly in the psychotherapy realm. Even with my own healing, my own self-healing, the way I think about the world, the way I think about myself has been greatly impacted by her. And I'm just so excited to ask her more questions about the concepts that she talks about on her social media accounts. She has a book out, How to Do the Work, and another one on the way this year called How to Meet Yourself, which explores concepts and practices that promise to guide you back to your authentic self. Okay, Dr. Nicola Perra, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I'm so excited to interview you. I am so honored and grateful to be here. Thank you for having me, Floss. Okay, so I'm going to go through my quick fire questions. I'm going to tell you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. I'm going to try my best not to like unpack everything you're saying. I'm sure as a therapist, <laughs> that's also one of your biggest hobbies when people talk. <laughs> okay. I will try to say the first thing that comes to my mind then. <laughs> okay, gorgeous. Because there's many things often that come to yes. my mind. <laughs> first question. What is one thing that sets your soul on fire? Oh, 
uh, the work I do every day. I love okay. what I do. <laughs> I mean, and you do it so well. <laughs> okay, the next question. What is the last photo you took? Uh, probably of a cat. Um, okay. Many cats. I love cats. I think actually it was me being a kitten mom with four kittens. We have four new kittens that are actually just turning three months old this weekend. And they were all laying around me as if they, I literally was their mom and my heart exploded. I was going to ask you, are they your own cats that you're taking pictures of? You have four kittens. We are. We are caring for kittens for, oh. for the time being. Yes. Oh, so amazing. we will see where the journey takes us and those kittens. Okay. The next question. What's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? Oh, wow. I think uh, oftentimes my message is understood. Um, I see a lot of times misinterpretations around the concept of self-healing, the Mm. empowering, what I hope is an empowering message um, that I, again, am very passionate to speak on. um, And I do see instances of misinterpretations at times. Okay, so so would you say that people are almost willingly misunderstanding what you're saying or... I don't think so. Now we can dive into the psychology of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> depends on how you define willing, Floss. Um, I think yeah. a lot of when we feel very reactive and um, you know, defensive and you know, even it might appear on some level to seek to misunderstand someone, in my opinion, most of our functioning is outside of our awareness. So the short answer is I don't think it's a conscious necessarily intentional. I think so much of it is wrapped into our deep rooted beliefs that a lot of the ideas I'm very well aware that I speak on day in and day out can be really challenging and have lived very much a version of that experience when I met many of these concepts myself. So short answer is I don't think it's intentional at all. I I think that we do very limited things intentionally. And I think that's a lot of the work that I do is to really inspire people to become more conscious so that if that is the case and you don't necessarily (laughs) want to be misunderstanding or just maybe even explore what it might be that's coming up for you to cause that reactivity, giving us the opportunity to do so. Wow. I feel like it would be so hard to get into an actual argument with you because you're just so much compassion about what the person's going through. (laughs) Well, funny you say that because part of the work that I'm doing is to learn how to be compassionate, but also to be first and foremost compassionate to me. I love that you put so much responsibility in boundaries to the self instead of trying to control the behavior of everyone else around you. I think it's such a wonderful way to talk about boundaries. The last quick fire question. Oh, shoot. We were so quick fire. We got off the table. Yeah. Yes. We're we're focused again. And then we we can get right into it. Okay. Finish the sentence. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to life. (laughs) Being that compassionate, loving, open, connected fulfilled human and and every aspect of living, um, as far as I see it, we are all works in progress because I've yet to find that proverbial end yes. that we're all searching for. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the journey of life is learning how to live in that journey. So everything. When you, when you say talking about the proverbial end, would you, would you say talking about your healing journey? Like there's no end to it. It's done. Every day. Anything it's, we yeah. want to be done with, done with stress, done with our endless to-do list, done with healing, right? At this place of where we imagine we can, I guess, on some level just be. And while I definitely agree that that's the end goal, um, I don't think it we gain the ability to be when we've checked external boxes. And that's Mm -hmm. usually what we're referencing when we're looking for done. I actually think done is an internal state where we can learn how to be with whatever it is that's happening in each and every moment. And then we 
can embody the process, like I was just saying, the evolution, the change that is life as opposed to the destination-based approach. Yeah. And again, having, I love to-do lists. I love completing. I love searching <laughs> for that place where I could just kick back and relax. And yeah. this is coming again from a very much a, my own personal experience of the suffering that comes with, can I just be over this? And again, I don't believe that that's the point here. So would you say it's more acceptance that the healing journey is is going to be bumpy and up and down as opposed to thinking that you're going to have this like goal-oriented journey with your healing? Yes. Well, because I yes. think if we even just transpose, right, healing journey with life, um, life is up and down. There's stressful moments. Emotions are part of life. And again, I think sometimes when we're seeking, we're seeking with this idea that in my opinion, it's unattainable that right, we get to this place where emotions go away. We don't feel ups and downs. Stress doesn't happen. And Again, I don't believe that that's, we have so many factors that swirl around us, including other people and everything they bring um, to the table in our interactions, coloring our world around us. Um, and again, I don't think it's it's a matter of right, being done outside. I think it's a matter of learning how to weather the waves mm. of life, the interactions with people that are part of the living experience. Okay, so that's the quick fire questions over. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go into the main part of the interview now. So I'm going to try not to completely gush over you and embarrass myself for this interview. But I come across your work uh, maybe four or five years ago. It was actually a girl I was dating at the time introduced me to your work. And she was showing me a checklist of stuff. I was describing some stuff from a previous relationship that I was in. And she sent me one of your, your infographics. I feel like the colors have changed over time. They've evolved. <laughs> but at the time, it was like this dark navy blue infographic with all of this stuff on it. And it was like, word for word, my experience that, that I hadn't been able to articulate. And I think it's so amazing what you've done in making all of these concepts so widely accessible through social media and we talk a lot about accessibility, but what you've actually done is possibly the epitome of making something accessible because these concepts have usually been gatekept to a therapist's office or to somewhere that you have to have some kind of financial privilege status to be able to even enter. Was that something that was always important to you, making this accessible? And why did you want to make these things accessible? 100%. I mean, I'm all, all smiles over here, even hearing you reflect back, seeing, I think, kind of what, how much accessibility is, is part of our mission. And mm -hmm. so when I first created the account, if I'm being perfectly honest, it was more the holistic psychologist account on Instagram. That is, it was really an exercise in my own healing journey at that time. Very interestingly, coming to the awareness, like I was sharing a bit earlier that I was someone who was always kind of filtering myself, always worrying about other people, always overstepping my boundaries, always showing up in what I call a version of performance. And mm -hmm. as I came to live the accumulated, and so one of the things that I knew was incredibly important and actually interestingly enough was something that in the field of psychology, being a clinical psychologist or being trained to be one, I was strongly advised not to be that self, that person, especially not, definitely not in a room with the clients that I was working with. So mm -hmm. not only in my personal life, right, did I water down myself pretty much across all of my different types of relationships, but I was actually directly told to do that in my clinical training. So I wanted to begin to teach myself how to share me. So the online mm -hmm. account began as that almost more individual exercise of, can I have a space where I share as Nicole as, yes, I am a clinical psychologist and I'm now working holistically and here's 
what I have to say. It was really important for me to make sure that even if you didn't have you know, the finances or the access to this information in the country that you're living in, that you could have these pieces of information. Because in my opinion, you could create incredible transformation if this information mm. is accessible. So it is near and dear. It will always be part of the mission of at The Holistic Psychologist is to make sure that all of this information is accessible for people who are interested. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the book to me is incredible and it's just another way to scale the impact. And to me, it's just another level of accessibility, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I really invested so much effort, time and energy into making it as comprehensive as possible with that hope that you purchase this book and it really does become your roadmap. Because I love to live with books. I love to revisit mm -hmm. them. I love to dog ear pages, highlight yeah. it, right? I love to like really live in my books. And the ones that I really resonate with, you know, are near and dear to my heart. And my hope was that, you know, for at least one human that how to do the work would be that. So anytime I see people, you know, putting up their book with all the dog-eared pages yes, or saying this is my third time reading book. it, <laughs> yeah. that's everything for me. Because again, my hope was you now have this comprehensive roadmap. My hope is that what you get back is so much beyond the investment that you made. And again, even if you choose not to, I'm still going to be showing up on all the platforms every day talking about these same <laughs> concepts on my, on my podcast and all of the different things. Can you outline your philosophy on self-healing and what that looks like and what it was like to also introduce that model to the psychology space? This is one of the concepts yeah. and one of the areas that is, you know, kind of I'm taken to task on in terms of it being majorly misunderstood. And one of the major issues, I think, is how much we outsource our inner knowing and how much sometimes the professionals, right, collude with that outsourcing, with this idea that I do know better. Mm. There's a lot of life that happens outside of that one hour, mm. right? So what we're talking about and when, what I've come to learn, what we're really talking about, we're talking about changing is changing the daily habits that are keeping us stuck in those patterns. So while, and I'm not diminishing the role that supportive professionals at that one hour week safe container can, can play on our journey. However, what I saw week after week is change happens in all of those moments. In the moment where you're getting ready to fight with your partner, instead of screaming and yelling, yeah. right, you calm yourself down. Change happens when you learn to care for your body in a different way, or even the fact that you have a body and you're the person who's lived your life and you can learn how to be a conscious observer of why you're stuck. And then again, you're the person who's going to have to show up and learn how to make those new choices for yourself. Have you found that it's hard? Because I love the concept of self-healing. I completely agree with you that it can't just happen in the one hour. And also you're just giving complete ownership and responsibility of your healing to this other person. You hand over the responsibility and so much power to someone else to be able to dictate your healing journey. I just find it really interesting that in this introduction of self-healing, it's almost like maybe some people are reluctant to to acknowledge that we have a part to play in that healing? Um, 100%. Anything that is new in whatever sense of the word it is, unfamiliar, I've not yet experienced this, I've not heard this, will signal threat to my body and to my nervous system because we don't actually know what's in, what is the possible outcome of this new choice. And before I know it, I'm right back in that familiar. So I share this often because I think it can be a very shameful place when we set many different commitments and maybe we do have support and help around yeah. us and yet we continue to find ourselves stuck in whatever way that it is we are stuck.
We're looking for, let's call it validation or, or something, or just to feel calmed down. We're looking for other people to make us feel good about ourselves. How do you avoid doing that? How do you know when you're looking for someone or, or you found a partner that feels that where it feels like a healthy bond or a, a healthy attachment to someone as opposed to seeking to feel better from someone? And yeah, what advice do you have for people who are dating and healing? So we observe ourselves to answer the first part of the question. You know, how, how do we know? So what observing ourselves simply means is I began to watch myself in relationships, observing our, myself consciously, that is, right? I became an observer in my mind, meaning I'm going about my day and I started to learn and see all of the moments that I am narrating, right? My day. Yeah. If we're talking about habits, looking for someone else to make me feel better, how we can see that of ourself is observing ourselves in relationship. The next time you're upset, watch what you do. Do you grasp outside? Do you try and make someone, you know, do something I, different? I quite literally used to do that where when I was hung over on a Sunday, I would grab my phone automatically to go onto dating apps. Yes. When I was feeling down. And then that, that was me observing. And it was when I was in this state of uh, reading posts like yours and getting into psychology and going to therapy, when I was observing myself, it wasn't something that I just did unconsciously of like, oh, I fancy going right. on Hinge. I fancy going on Tinder. <laughs> it then became this thing of like, I did it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm feeling shit. And I'm literally reaching for the validation machine. Yes. Yeah, to feel it's, better. whenever you're in that, I don't do it anymore, but it was, it, it was whenever you're in that low vibration anyway, you just end up attracting things. It, it was, <laughs> it's this, you know, you, you end up doing things you don't want to do. So like, I would be hungover. It's also this like internet joke that like most, you get most matches on dating apps on a Sunday because everyone's a bit hungover. So That's it's, fun. yeah, so it's when everyone's in this kind of like, you end up matching people and then on the Monday you'd get something in and be like, what, what was I thinking? I would never date this person in my life. What other advice do you have to someone? someone who's dating, looking to form some kind of healthy attachment with someone, which I've seen you call conscious dating. Yes. Yes. So yeah. I think Do first, you have any more tips? Of course. I think the first thing that I want to offer everyone is um, first, just a bit of normalization and acknowledgement that it is often in our dating and our romantic relationships where all of the old stuck habits, dysfunctional patterns, even often at times, really do live. So I first want to offer a bit of compassionate support for all of us who are struggling because, you know, so many of us, I do think can see progress or whatever, if we want to go back to using that word or see change or, you know, make, you know, have new habits in certain areas. And then we begin to date or we return home to the relationship that we're in, or we visit our family, our oldest relationships for most of us. And there are, there are all those old habits again. Yes. Going right? home and to your can, parents for the holidays. I, it's like a perfect it, example. Oh my gosh. I mean, when you go home too with, with partners, anytime you visit it, maybe a partner's family. I've had this reflected back to me, bringing partners home, my partner in particular, Lolly, in the early parts of our relationship, while I did not like to hear her observation in the beginning when she would very <laughs> lovingly share it with me that I had an agitation cycle around my family visits and we were living in the neighboring state. So there was, they were frequent and she would notice that days leading up, I would become agitated and I would take it out. I would nitpick. We would get into arguments at the time when I was at my parents' actual house, she would notice that I would be mean. I would be cold. I would snip to her. Oftentimes I'd be drinking, drinking too much to deal with the stress. And then there was like kind of the fallout of several days after. And gently after, you know, observing this pattern for some time, she began to bring that up to me. You know, Nicole, do you mm. notice this, you know, this agitation? Does going to your family stress you out? Because this is what I'm noticing. And that's a, a very example of that. So 
again, normalizing, I think the struggle and also empowering because, and to answer the question that anyone might have, if I am in a current relationship, if I'm not dating and I am in a relationship where I do come to the conscious awareness that there are some habits that aren't serving me and my partner and that I want to change. And I get mm. asked quite often, can you heal? Can we change an active relationship? So the other side, the silver lining of this conversation, as much as we are all bringing our past relationship dynamics, our trauma bonds, typically until we become conscious mm. into our current relationships, as we practice becoming conscious, we do then have the gift of change and we can modify, change dynamics in active relationships so that they are healthier, safer for everyone involved. You said then about we all rely on each other in one way or another. And I think that's called interdependence, right? Like yes. it's how it's how we're meant to be in society. Yes. What I find really interesting is how we're becoming increasingly uh, it's kind of going the other way now, but everyone's becoming a bit more independent. I feel like through the pandemic, we kind of realized how important our connections with other people were. And then there's the opposite, which is codependence, which is another thing that gets spoken about on social media all the time. And I think there are so many misconceptions on codependence, but I've seen you speak about it on social media. Can you refresh us on what codependency is, what it looks like, and some kind of go-to signs that you might be codependent or in a codependent relationship? Absolutely. I'm going to start though with interdependence and then kind of we'll backtrack. Okay, go for it. What interdependence is, because there's an intentional reason for all of it. What interdependence is, is the ability to be separate, separate me's, if you will. I'm uniquely me and Flossie are uniquely you and we can mm -hmm. join together as a we, where I'm able to maintain my natural gifts, talents, what makes me me. I don't have to water those down. I don't have to adapt or modify myself. And you have the gift of being the beautiful puzzle piece that probably has, you know, different natural gifts, talents, things that come easy. And together we can form a really efficient, coherent, cooperative, harmonious system. So that's what interdependence is. Codependency is how I and many of us grew up where there was no separation. There was no boundaries like we talked about earlier. Um, we all think the same things. I don't even trust self, what's self. I'm always vetting my choices through someone else. Over time, what we do and what we will do because those connections to those relationships are so very important is we're going to modify ourselves. We might become, again, a boundaryless person that's always looking to please, to be there. People pleaser is okay. the best kind of way to think about the kind of prototypical codependent. Now, going back to the other side of the spectrum, and I, I just want to clarify to something that I think sometimes gets a bit confused. Being separate together means being separate, having that separate difference, right? Having space for me to explore, express whatever it is that makes me uniquely me or uniquely different. A lot of times it seems to me that we're being urged or environments are created where this idea of group think is being packaged as caring for the community or caring for the family. However, what we are required to do to be part of the unit, a lot of us is to lose what makes me me or to lose or sacrifice some version of myself. For the collective. So you need for to the sacrifice collective. something for the collective. Sacrifice a part of who I am, right? We're not talking about negotiating. I'm going to sacrifice some time here to give it yes. to you, or I'm going to yeah. sacrifice some, you know, emotional bandwidth because I need, because you're going through something and I have the resources. So I'm going to hold space and listen to you. We're Just not being talking, a kind person and giving up some of your time. That's, that's <laughs> negotiation and a relate. That's what, that's yeah, why we are. Yeah. That's why we, we need others because we mm -hmm. want to relate and have that back and forth. So would you, so codependence is 
sacrificing parts of yourself, doing things you maybe don't want to do for the approval validation or whatever it is keeping simply just keeping the peace sometimes in a relationship because it's maybe what you learned in childhood about sacrificing a part of yourself to keep the peace when you feel you, when you feel you have no choice another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. So back to your definition of self-healing, you cannot point to other people not to invite you out to places. They should know you're busy. You should be the person to say, I'm busy and I can't, I'm unavailable to see you tonight. And I think I call them resentment ships, where it's almost these friendships or relationships that you have with people where you're overcommitting. And I think I've read somewhere that it's called something like the drama triangle. I don't know if you subscribe to that or if you think that that's, it's, it's a framework that I've read about before where it's essentially some kind of addiction to the process of overcommitting, resenting the person. Then you get to be the victim and complain that you're busy and being overworked and all of this stuff all the time. And then you just go back to doing all the things again. And it's some kind when actually you could just say no and give people right. a chance to respect or disrespect you. In which case, the worst thing that, is, that happens is the person reveals himself to not be a very safe person in your life and you can act accordingly after that. Right. Well, to just kind of, I think, more, more um, verbalize the complicated nature, because yes, it is... That simple though, when we pull back uh, that layer, right? Why can't we say no? And for some of us that might, the answer might be, well, then I'm not of service to them anymore. They might not, bottom line, want to be in a relationship with me. So while it can sound like it's just a no, if it's a no, say no, <laughs> it is really so much more than a no. And for some of us, we've worn identities of being the person who never says no, the helper, yes. the always on the go, the yes and man, as I call. And there's pride in that, that I feel comes into, particularly with women, there's pride in being this selfless yes. person. Like yes. that label is used so much One. with women as though it's, it's, it's to be selfless is the best thing that you could be that always pouring right into, into relationships is how we're meant to be. And again, I think a lot of it is, it could be gendered, it could be cultural. Um, there's just so many different messages that so many of us have gotten. And yeah. then that is how we continue to operate. You've um, spoke again, about good girl conditioning on your Instagram recently in a couple of posts. I loved them. Can you talk a bit more about that? Just on the subject of the being selfless and the giving and the people pleasing. I think it's so great. Yeah. So good girl conditioning and, you know, we can have good person if we don't want to make a, a gender about it. But again, it's this idea, oftentimes selflessness, it's what we imagine good, right? And again, I, I can maybe be a little controversial here and say, good is a subjective word. If I say what's good to you, you might list things that 
I might think are, some are good and I might think some aren't good, right? Yeah. So all, all of these words, right? Like good, you know, bad are, are I think very, very subjective, but very entrenched. It might fall along gender lines is this idea of once we have this idea of what it is to be good, a lot of time it is to be selfless, not to cause issue, not to bring up conflict, to be quiet, mm. to be easygoing. I mean, this is, I think, a lot of probably what comes to mind when we think of prototypical good. And then again, it's this idea that that is how I have to show up in every sort of circumstance. And we don't allow our authentic self-expression for some of us based in this subjective morality that we might not even agree with into adulthood if we were mm. to really, really question ourselves. And I talk about good girl a lot because I think a lot of us, you know, for different reasons really can identify. And it looks often like that critical voice in our head. Did you have a moment in your life when you decided to stop being this good girl or stop, stop performing? You've said that you realized a lot of it you were doing before was just performing, performing this role that you'd learned in childhood. Did you have a moment where you just had enough and decided to embark on this journey? I think it, for me, it was a accumulation of a lifetime of, of moments. And I wouldn't even have had, you know, almost when I'm hearing you ask that question, I'm picturing like sticking a, a flag in, I'm done now. It yes. didn't, <laughs> yeah. And I'm done with this specific thing, you know, yeah, screw everyone, yeah. I'm just me. Um, it never it, works like that, really. It but, never, yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have even been able to be that emphatic that that's what it was. Cause again, it yeah. was very much like this unfolding, um, mm. peeling of an onion. Uh, and it began though with feeling so disempowered, so stuck, so just depleted. Um, of energy. And it was just an accumulation of having yeah. really felt all of those ways for a lifetime that for me, when I was entering into my thirties, got to the point of feeling intolerable. And the major something, I think one of the major somethings that I, I changed first was my relationship with, with my family and learning how to begin to utilize different types of boundaries, even taking complete space from them for probably a period about 18 months to mm. give myself the opportunity to have a bit more space to reconnect, to begin to explore um, where it was. So while there wasn't, again, a pivotal moment where I stuck my flag in, I think back to the, again, the first question you asked me in terms of the journey and continuing, that's why I'm still very much on it because I believe again life is a process yeah. of self-discovery. It was it was like that for me as well. It was definitely a succession of moments. I think probably a really good breakup that I had. Um, it, you know, it wasn't a good breakup, but it was very good for me, for my life, for myself, and for everything that I wanted to make room for in my life. For me, it was definitely a breakup, but it, it came before the breakup. You know, it was the yeah. breakup was almost like this mm -hmm. decision I'd made in the wake of all of these realizations, suddenly you just become so fed up with the way that things are and you realize the only fucking common denominator in every situation is yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that you need to do something to change. Yes. Yeah, very yeah. similarly, I, I too um, left a, I think, very much, I loved the way you even third uh, kind of conceptualize it. It wasn't the breakup; it was like a byproduct of left a marriage, yeah, collateral damage, <laughs> left a marriage several years ago. Now, almost probably a decade ago, ten years ago, for same thing realization. You know, like the reason why I think I reference the decision I made with my family, now the decision I made with my ex-wife, was because those I have literally a handful. There was one other decision I could reference when I decided to stop playing softball in, in college. Okay. Those were all one of the very few limit. I mean, there's three, that's it, in a lifetime of decisions I've made. I'm now 40 years old that, I mean, up more recently, I've been making many more choices for myself, but 
pivotally on my journey, that was a handful of choices in say my 30 then years that I made for me, knowing it might cause upset in someone else. And there was few others, if any. The thing that I've always thought about when it comes to these relationships and whether or not to leave them or whether whether or not to leave this job is that I've always reminded myself there is a cost either way. So there is a cost to stay and there is a cost to leaving. You can either, the cost of staying in an unhappy relationship or a job that doesn't fulfill you is immense. You just maybe can't see it. it. It will have an impact on the body. It has an impact on your mental health. It impacts your relationships with other people, your general well-being. There's a cost for staying and then there's a cost for leaving also. But there's a cost either way. You pay something either way. Yes. We're going to move into the listener questions in just a second from my audience. But just before we do that, do you have a way of discerning what's anxiety and what's intuition? I know that's like the million dollar question that, that everyone is wants to know the answer to. <laughs> that, that is the journey. I think our, our, the, the, the simplest way I can answer this is I believe our intuition speaks from, um, it speaks in different ways because again, I think a lot of us confuse intuition with the voice in our mind. While for some of us, you know, it, it can speak in words and in phrases. I think a lot of times it's much more nonverbal. It speaks in sensations. I think a lot of times we can feel those shifts and changes, constrictions, lightness mm. being on the other end of that in our, I'm grabbing my chest in our heart space. So really attuning to our body, I think is the, the shift I want to make. Of course, anxiety lives in our body. My anxiety usually feels like an elevated heart rate mm. when we're tuned into our body in a safe way and we're tuned into our intuition. Our heart rate usually isn't elevated. It's probably very calm, even maybe even from deep in our, our belly. Our body has to feel safe. It has to be open for us to feel our heart, whenever our heart is racing, whenever our blood is pumping, um, usually we're in a sort of anxious state. So I think I'm more answering what it is not. That is anxiety. Yes. That is not intuition. Yeah. And again, intuition yeah. again is different for each of us. That's why I really urge all of us to get connected with ourselves, with our body, Absolutely. with our heart and how that speaks. Thank you so much. We're now going to move into listener questions. Can it. you give me a hand answering them? Yes, absolutely. Okay, the first question here, where should I start on inner child healing work? Oh, very, very good question. Inner child is very much like the concepts we're talking about, um, a conditioned often space in our mind that has many of the deep rooted beliefs that were created based on our very earliest lived experiences. So inner child, the often and beautifully, this applies to the entire conversation, where we typically meet our inner child is when we're having a really, really big emotional reaction. Chances are, disproportionate, one might say, chances are that all that means is we're not wrong. Something is very real happening inside of us. The question is though, is it grounded in the reality of the moment now, or is it colored by the reality of my, my past moments? Inner child work really can begin by becoming conscious of those moments in our life. And you've given the beautiful example early in our talk, right? Having that point of pause of reflection. Why is it I'm feeling compelled to do what I'm doing? What was the meaning I assigned? And that can give us clarity. Again, we can give ourselves the gift of relieving the shame that we feel when we see ourselves screaming and yelling, maybe hurting our loved ones and understand that again, as part of our older wounding over time, giving us the tools to make new choices. So consciousness, consciousness, consciousness for inner child, look for big moments of reactivity and for those older, more immature seeming coping mechanisms. Those are usually an indicator that something deeper is happening. Something I'm thinking about now is how all, all of these reasons that you're explaining about how sometimes we can lash out at our loved ones and hurt people. In the extreme case, though, of emotional abuse or what, when, when people are hurting other people, I've been in situations where I've used their trauma 
to justify why they're doing what they're doing. And I've, mm-hmm. I've always struggled with the difference between explaining something and excusing it. Yes. Just because we can explain something and the, the reasons why this person is doing X, Y, and Z doesn't mean we excuse it. Yes, that's a beautiful and important distinction to make. And very similarly, when we were talking a bit about compassion, I would yes. compassion away my very real, you know, violations and uh, relationship comes to mind. That was, you know, I had a partner who, because of her own, and I was very well aware of her past history, was, you know, very uh, verbally and emotionally abusive to me at times. And I pulled so far back. I said, okay, well, she doesn't really mean it. I know she's a good person in her heart. She's really wounded. It's not really about me. And in reality, I can have that whole conversation with myself and still, and this is why the relationship eventually did come after mm-hmm. many stops and starts when I would distance myself and then I would come back. And I would di- when I did finally put up that hard boundary, no, you, you, you are wounded. I can love you better from this distance, safe space mm-hmm. over here when I'm not on the victim end of that abuse anymore. But that distinction is is really challenging. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Here's the next question. Is there a link between my dad abandoning me and my hypersexuality and my need of constant male validation or is there something else? That's a really, you know, it sounds like whoever asked this question is talking about a more physical abandonment. And that happens to a lot of us. Parents actually leave. Some of us weren't even raised by, you know, biological parents, maybe in foster care with aunts or uncles or whomever, right? Physical abandonment. The person is no longer physically available to us. And there's also emotional abandonment, which is what I experienced having a mom that was always present. She was, you know, the the stay-at-home mom. That was the role she played in my her relationship with my dad. But emotionally, she was never present. So while I can't, you know, kind of connect knowing all of the details of this, this listener, this, you know, this question, um, the rest of their life though, it is something to explore. Any of us who are left in whatever way might feel deeply unworthy and then see these compensatory ways that we try to get that external validation from others. Again, us just trying to heal that older wound from our childhood. Is there any way to kind of shift that uh, narrative that the child has about why their parent left? Or is it inevitable that a wound will always be there because something's left. Communication. Um, I think children are so, they're not giving us enough credit. They're so attuned, aware creatures. And a lot of us, you know, for different reasons, probably our own discomfort too, in talking about this very hard thing, we don't, children aren't told things that they are sensing really often. And so that I'm applying to here, right? The more we can fill in the story and directly share, you know, and again, whatever with with whatever is developmentally appropriate, because then there's an extreme side of this too, where children are gifted with information that's too developmentally immature. This is called parentification, right? Where I'm given too much information. So of course it's a parent's parental discretion to figure out what and how it can be communicated in a developmentally appropriate way. But your child is going to fill in a narrative themselves anyway. Mm, Okay, thank you so much. We have time for one more question. So that's how can you navigate it when you and your friend are at very different stages of your healing journey and you want to remain friends? Really, really great question. Get it really often. Honoring, I think, just where each is. It's really natural to want to bring friends, loved ones along, to want to change, especially if the way they're interacting and where their stage is, is, you know, causing us concern or issue or stress in our relationship, though, ultimately just honoring open communication, you know, honoring that the relationship itself will now have a new set of growing pains as if not both, if one person begins to show up differently, the dynamic itself changes. So sensitivity Mm. as well to the difficulties that you might be seeing in a friend who is maybe on a different stage of healing. 
Okay, amazing answer. Thank you so much for your time. I have so much to think about after this episode. Thank you so much. Been an excellent guest. Thank you, Floss, so, so much for having me. Thank you all for listening. This has really been a great conversation. Oh my God, another amazing conversation and someone I want you to, again, follow on Instagram, all social media platforms instantly. Nicole's Instagram is at the holistic psychologist. Again, you probably know who she is. You've probably seen her work before. You should absolutely check out her Instagram if you want this kind of content and this educational psychology, therapeutic advice daily. She makes amazing Instagram reels. She makes amazing infographics, breaking down all of these topics. She's helped so many people in their relationships with their own healing journey, with their own families. She is incredible and she's given me so much to think about after this episode. To keep updated with all of the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember, we want to hear from you. Every month, we'll be taking your calls, your texts, and your voice notes for our call-in episode. We'll be discussing topics around money, relationships, queerness, body image, all kinds of stuff. If you'd like to ask a question or speak to my guest and I, please get in touch on WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And don't forget you can join me every week for Ask Floss where I answer all of your questions from building confidence with your body hair to setting relationship boundaries and even my preference on cats or dogs. It's cats. Subscribe to Extra Floss to listen right now. Visit extrafloss.com to start your free trial and get access wherever you listen to your podcast or you can visit exactly on Apple Podcasts and hit try free at the top of the page. And a massive thank you to the incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for the show. They're fucking amazing. You can find them on Instagram at at BlackHoneyUK and you can check out their latest album written and directed. This is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. My producer is Millie Charles, assistant producer is Ella McLeod, executive producer is Carly Mayo, and the production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And I want to give a special thanks to Chris Skinner, Jonathan Imieri, Ryan O'Meara and Teddy Riley for additional production and thanks to our engineers Jay Beale, Josh Gibbs and Gulliver Tickle.